0: In this episode of Influencers, Dean of the Business School at Columbia University, Costas Magloris.
1: Uh, we're here to train professionals, managers, people that are sort of well-equipped to be able to thrive within the digital future that you and I live in. And If you're asking what's gonna change the world in the next 75 years, it's gonna be our collective response to climate change. All of these things, are going to be center stage both for businesses, for business education, uh, for our economy and for our society over the next half a century.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer and welcome to our guest Costas Maglaris. Dean of the Business School at Columbia University. Dean McGloris, welcome. Nice to see you. There seems to be some controversy about getting an MBA and the value of an MBA. I mean, it's always been out there, but maybe with all this talk about the the cost of undergraduate, and of course, in this case, graduate school education, some people are calling into question how valuable an MBA really is. How would you respond to that, Dean McGloris?
1: So I think uh, I'll make two comments, but I'll, I'll first start from your question directly. I think uh, getting an MBA has been and continues to be an incredibly good investment, investment of time and also a financial investment. Uh, you get incredible training that, get, that launches you into, I think, uh, very good professional career paths. So that continues to be true. In a time of change, like the one that we have experienced in the last two years, and I think the one that we'll be experiencing over the next uh, decade or two, it is itself a good place to actually go retool and relaunch into ambitious career paths. So I think the, the case uh, for the value offered by, by an MBA is strong, as strong as it has ever been, and will continue to be strong. Separately, what we do here, is we try to make an effort to control the cost of the the business school, uh, of an MBA degree, either by keeping the cost down for our students. And I wanna mention that at our school, some other schools as well, tuition right now is 5% lower than it was three years ago in real terms, right? Uh, So we're bringing tuition down. Separately, we're increasing financial aid that we're giving to our students to make uh, education affordable. And simultaneously, we're trying to make sure that the value of the degree continues to be as strong as possible.
0: Maybe jumping off that point, and this is sort of a flip side question, and forgive me if this is sort of like, you know, Costas can't win for trying here. Are, Are MBAs too successful? In other words, you look at the starting salaries of people coming out of business school, and I think that what was it, Columbia in excess of 170, something? is that correct? That's, that's a lot of money. And are you concerned that MBAs exacerbate inequality in our society even?
1: Well, um, no, uh, but I do think that MBAs, uh, students that come through our programs and other programs need to, uh, need to become socially responsible leaders. And that's an emphasis in our curriculum while people are here in the school, but also an emphasis when we're talking to our alumni. Uh, We have a role to play, you, me, uh, and certainly our alums that sort of lead very successful professional lives to to really think about the role of businesses within society and and sort of try to alleviate the tensions that we are experiencing today. So I think. I don't think MBA students or graduates uh, amplify inequality, but I do think they should be part of the solution to that problem.
0: You have, I think, kind of a non traditional background when it comes to being the dean of a business school. Uh, you have a double E, a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford. Uh, how does that inform you when it comes to running a business school? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, the joke that I used to say when I became dean three years ago is that 15 years ago or 10 years ago, it would have been too early for an engineer to run a business school. Uh, But the world has been changing through technology, uh, through data, through algorithms, things that are sort of native to what I do. Uh, And I think it makes sense to be, to attempt to transform education Uh, to really prepare students for the digital future. So I think in that sense, I'm very well prepared to do what we're trying to do. Uh, In addition to having a PhD in electrical engineering, I have been on the faculty for about 25 years here at the business school. So I actually understand what we do reasonably well uh, to be able to marry the two two things. Uh, But I do think that starting uh, in the beautiful state of New Jersey in around the late 1940s with two inventions, the invention of the transistor and the invention, the blueprint of what we now call digital communication. These two things, 75 years into the future have really transformed our lives, right? They have changed every aspect, how we work, how you and I communicate today, uh, how businesses work, every industry. Uh, And in that sense, they need and they have been transforming business education. And that's a little bit of the, I would say, the rationale of the non-traditional background, as you mentioned.
0: Right, and having said that, of course, you can't just have a pure, say, electrical engineering or technical background because it must be integrated with yes. the other processes and the other ways of running a business, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're not here to train engineers. Uh, we're here to train professionals managers, people that are sort of well-equipped to be able to thrive within the digital future that you and I live in.
0: And and you don't have an MBA. Is that typical or atypical of a dean uh, of a business school?
1: Most people don't have MBAs. I mean, most people have PhDs in their own discipline. Right. If they come through the uh, sort of the faculty ranks, Uh, which is a majority of the people in, uh, in, in, in top schools, I would say, and, uh, but depending on whether you studied economics, or finance, or management, or marketing, you're closer to an MBA education than, let's say, the things that I was doing when I was uh, a PhD student, but, you know, uh, you learn over time, and, uh, and, (laughs) and you adopt, uh, and, and I think, In some sense, uh, it's not an impediment. It is important, though, to understand, really, business education, what do our students do, what they're interested to do when they're here, and to really move the school to best address these needs.
0: I want to talk about that a little bit more, what they do. But first, another question or two about your background. Another thing that differentiates you from, say, most business school deans in the United States is your international background. You grew up in Greece and then you studied in England. How does that inform your thinking?
1: Well, I think uh, I think for us here at Columbia, and for me personally, it's important to have a truly international look. This is also natural for us located in New York. Uh, our alumni, our, our students come, uh, from all sorts of corners uh, in the world. Uh, Our alumni go and sort of become business leaders all around the world. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand uh, global business. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand uh, things that have to do with uh, globalization right now, about US, China. Like, I mean, in some sense, we need to be uh, uh, both, uh, open and, uh, continuously, uh, refining our understanding of the global, uh, economic, uh, order, world order. Uh, and I think I'm trying to certainly to move the school in that direction. We've been doing a very good job for decades in that area. So, but, you know, I think it's important for all of us to continue to do that.
0: What is your thinking though, about say, anti globalist anti-globalism, which is sort of the the, the real trend right now. I Maybe mean, we've seen, of course, globalism since World War II, but now we're seeing sliding back to nationalism, uh, particularly when it comes to the U.S.-China relations relationship. And of course, there are many fewer Chinese students right now at Columbia University. What's your take on that?
1: I think we haven't, within our business school, we haven't seen uh, a reduction on of students coming from uh, mainland China. Uh, But we never had a disproportionate number of students coming from mainland China. The, I think through COVID and through the political tension that has emerged in the last four or five, six years between US and China, uh, we have entered a sort of a new phase in that relationship. Uh, I do believe that that relationship is going to be one of the defining things that will continue to consume us over the next several decades. Uh, You started with the second such topic, which is societal tension, inequality, and things of that sort. I think that's another topic that is going to consume us for quite some time. Uh, And the third one, in my view, is going to be climate change. Uh, But all of these things are going to be center stage, both for businesses, for business education, uh, for our economy, and for our society over the next half a century.
0: Let me pick up on that climate change and ask you a little bit more about that because you have a climate change and business program uh, at the school and what specifically is that and how does it tackle uh, climate change?
1: Good, Uh, great question Uh, and I'll try to keep it short. That's a passion of us. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it has been, we have been 75 years into the trajectory of the digital future so to speak and uh, and if you ask me what's going to change the world in the next 75 years, it's going to be our collective response to climate change. And it's going to change energy, the energy sector, of course, transportation, food, agriculture, manufacturing, supply chains, uh, every aspect of our lives is going to be transformed, every industry, every business, etc. cetera. So we need to certainly train our students uh, for that. Um, so our work, I would say focuses on uh, three areas: curriculum. Uh, so build out the curriculum and, and scale it up. Uh, it used to be that there were only fifty students interested in that uh, area, like even half a decade ago. Right now, you know, there are hundreds. Uh, we, we so we're building up curriculum in area of climate finance and asset pricing and risk, in area of climate strategy. I think a lot of work will have to do with How do you transition to net zero? If you're a company, if you're a state, if you're a country. uh, And so we're working on strategy courses. We're working on consumer behavior, which is important about how you and I think about this issue and change our own uh, decisions and actions. And then analytics, uh, manufacturing, supply chains, uh, efficiency-driven thinking. So curriculum is one. The other thing is research uh, and we're investing in areas that we're good, climate finance, strategy, uh, consumer behavior again and climate analytics and operations, sustainable operations. And the third thing that I think we have a role to play and we're investing quite a bit is create an initiative to disseminate information uh, about the areas that we understand uh, uh, the most. Uh, And that has to do with developments in again in asset pricing valuation and climate finance, you know, how do you help practitioners, business leaders, policymakers understand these questions? How do you curate information about solutions and technology? Um, an area that we're importing from engineering, we have a clean tech course, for example, where we bring people from engineering to teach about carbon capture and about solar and about battery and about wind. Uh, So in some ways, create uh, an area where you come in to actually learn and and learn about how technologies and how business models are changing companies uh, and how companies are actually uh, affecting uh, this transition.
0: I'm curious about what kinds of jobs students have been getting and will be getting with this type of education that pertains specifically to climate change?
1: Uh, So if you step back and you ask yourself, where do our students go right now? A third of our students go into consulting. Uh, Now, what do consulting uh, firms do? Uh, I would say about half of what consulting firms do right now is what I call digital transformation projects. They go to every company in the world and they try to tell them how to become more uh, digital and more uh, sophisticated in that in that area. What will consulting firms do over the next several decades? I'm pretty sure they're going to be helping companies, countries, states, municipalities transition to Net zero. So most of our students will go into consulting. They will continue going into consulting. And and they will see that most of the work that they're doing over the next several decades is gonna be climate focused. So that's one. Uh, We have a lot of students are going to banking, they're going to asset management. Uh, A lot of that will end up being influenced by uh, what's happening in in sort of the climate transition uh, journey as it pertains into asset management and investments and risk. Uh, and and also banking. Then we have people that go into startups and a lot of them are gravitating towards clean tech solution oriented uh, companies. Um, I don't know whether you know of a company called Beyond Meat that makes plant-based burgers. Uh, So Ethan Brown is one of our graduates that started that company right after he graduated from the business school. Uh, And there are many others. Uh, So there are sort of several people that go into that space And then finally, if you and I go to work at GM or Ford or or an apparel manufacturer, a Nike or what have you, the reality is that over time, transitioning these companies to being net zero will be part of the toolkit that you need to bring to your job. So I actually think that this education will not just be pertinent to the person that starts beyond meat or the next one, it will be pertinent to pretty much every single one of our graduates because either they will be investing in these companies, or helping to transition, helping companies transition, or they will work for these companies, or it will be, uh, you know, they will be helping their employer, GM, Tesla, what, what have you, to sort of transition themselves. So I think it's going to be pervasive the same, the same way technology and being mm-hmm. trained. To thrive in the digital future is itself pervasive to our students.
0: That's a great to explanation. No, that's a great explanation in terms of how it's become fundamental and core to all these different types of jobs and careers. I want to ask you sort of an adjacent question, which is about enhancing students' skill sets so they're prepared for jobs of tomorrow. And I think some of that you just spoke to, but are there new business models and new forms of technologies and new ways of integrating both of those that you're keen on?
1: Yeah, so let me just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, three examples. One is personal, but the other ones are not. So six or seven years ago, we decided to introduce a course for our students, specifically designed for business school students to teach them how to program. Uh, and in particular, we, we selected Python. We said, we're gonna teach kids to uh, students to, te- to code in Python. With the idea is that they're not gonna become programmers, but they're gonna understand what programming is about. And will understand algorithmic thinking and they'll understand how to collaborate with people that are programmers or data scientists that work in their teams. At this point in time, about two thirds of our students are taking this course. We have 500 students taking uh, Python uh, when they come through the business school program. Uh, so it's becoming sort of necessary skill, not to be a programmer yourself, but to really know how to collaborate, uh, manage, and then lead people that are data scientists, are developers, are you know, user experience experts, UI, UX uh, individuals, creative folks. So that's, um, and there's a whole suite of courses in that area. The second thing, uh, which is a course that a a friend of mine developed, Daniel Ames, is to really train people how to behave in cross-functional teams. Um, Had you finished a business school program 15 years ago and went to work in a consulting firm, you would find yourself in a room surrounded by people like you. There will be other MBA graduates, some from Columbia, some from other schools, and we will all work together to solve some kind of client question or problem. If you go to the same consulting firm today and you look at the composition of the team around you, it will have a couple of data scientists, it will have a UI UX expert, you may have a developer and you may have two MBA uh, types. And so you need to be trained to work and collaborate in this cross-functional environment. So what we're doing is both through simulation exercises, that's what Daniel is doing, and through mixing populations, bringing business school students together with engineering students and people from design, trying to sort of create this experiential learning uh, uh, framework to really prepare uh, people for what's gonna happen when they leave the school. The third thing is we try to bring uh, import expertise from engineering, for example. So I'm gonna develop, uh, I'm gonna co-teach a class with the Dean of the School of Engineering, Sifu Chan. And with Sifu, the idea here is we're gonna sort of take breakthrough technologies uh, and we're gonna walk through our students, sort of we're gonna start with deep learning and neural networks and, you know, explain the basic, explain where they've been applied successfully, bring investors in to have a panel conversation about, talk about what's happening now, what do we think is gonna happen in three, five, 10 years from now? And we're gonna do it for deep learning. We're gonna do, do it for uh, AI and robotics, vision and, and imaging, photonics, blockchains, and also think about digital urban cities like ours, uh, like New York. So, So the third and last example is really try to sort of make our students cognizant of the sort of techno- technological breakthroughs that are changing today, but in some sense that may have the ability to really transform what's happening in the next three, five, 10 years. Um, so tech and analytics, foundational skills, integrating experiential learning to integrate it the way you would ex- expose uh, be exposed at work. And then the last thing also talk about the future.
0: Right. Let me ask you a two-part question, Dean McGlaris, and that is about the economy and students and, and trends. Are you seeing any weakness um, given what's going on in the markets, talk of recession in terms of job offers, rescinded job offers, salaries, A. And then B, what about bigger trends, slightly longer-term trends, um, say, with regard to students being wary of going to big tech firms, given those conversations or Wall Street? So they're kind of different questions, but I'm putting them together.
1: Yeah, so uh, we haven't seen significant uh, sort of uh, concern yet about the students that just graduated about offers being sort of pulled back or, or economics of the people that are getting offers right now being not as good as the people that got offers two months ago. Uh, But I do think we're gonna see more of that. Uh, I think, you know, the startup space uh, is the place where we're gonna see some of that happening. In some sense, uh, companies that are not themselves yet significantly profitable uh, will have to get into a mindset of conserving cash uh so making uh, whatever liquidity they have last longer uh, in anticipation of you know what may be happening in the next you know six, 12, 18, 24 months and uh, and that may translate into a reduction of poss- opportunities to join this company. So I think that's an area that we're gonna we, you you hear about it and you read about it uh, but I think that's gonna play out over the next, uh, three, six, twelve 12 months uh, for sure. I think uh, switching to your uh, question about big company recruiting tech, uh, tech firms, I, I imagine you were talking about Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Google uh, rather than startups. Uh, I believe, um, there is continues to be strong appetite to join these companies the same way that there has always been, and continues to be strong appetite to join uh, big banks or to do investment banking or asset management or careers of that sort. I think that what we see in our students, and we see it more now than we used to see it in the past, is that they like to join what they call purpose-driven organizations. Uh, and, I, and I do believe that a lot of them will try to sort of put that in their calculation about whether do I want to go and work for company X, if they engage in this type of activity versus I want to go uh, somewhere else. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to see more of that uh, in the future.
0: Final question, Dean, and that is I've got to ask you to uh, talk a little bit about your new uh, campus. I know you're so proud of it in Manhattanville. You've committed on the building's unique designs or commented, I should say, in particularly the amount of shared space for students. Why are those spaces so important? And, and what else do you really like about uh, this new facility? Yeah,
1: well, it has been long in the making, so we love it that it's now over uh, and done. But uh, yeah, the, the space looks and functions like a modern, uh, if you go to a modern business building, uh, you see that uh, work is much more social. Uh, It's much more collaborative. We don't all go to our unique offices and work by ourselves, but a lot of times work happens in teams. So this is something that is pervasive in these buildings. You see uh, breakout rooms and study rooms for uh, student teams and conference rooms. And, you know, so in some sense, that's uh, uh, sort of embedded everywhere uh, in the buildings. The other thing is that I think is is new for us is flexible classrooms. So we have classrooms that can be sort of like tiered uh, lectures. Uh, you can arrange things in a tiered form, but you can also rearrange things in, in a way that it's as if people are working in groups of four or six or eight people. So, you know, I can come into the class I can lecture for 20 minutes and I can say, okay, let's now all work on idea X uh, within your team. And let's try to do A and B, and let's regroup in 25 minutes and see where we're at. And then people sort of huddle together, work in their teams. And this is hard to do in an amphitheater, right? Uh, And it's so we have also rooms that are conducive to this sort of experiential uh, teaching. There's a lot of light, which is also something that is a staple of modern buildings, um, and there is room for expansion. Uh, so, in some sense, it's it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful change. And interestingly, and I'm not an architect, uh, but people talk about how design and architecture really changes how people feel and their level of ambition and how they act. And you can see it, like you see it in the in the students. You see it on our faculty uh, and uh, on our staff. So I think uh, it's uh, it's it's good to be here, uh, and we'll look forward to a bright and ambitious future
0: in a post-pandemic environment as well. Of course, <laughs> that I...
1: for, that for sure.
0: <laughs> yes, Costas McGlarres, Dean of the Business School at Columbia University. Thank you so much for joining us. Andy, thank you very much for having me. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.